Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. After a kidney transplant, your diet still plays a big role. Do you know which foods to avoid or how your transplant medications affect what you can eat? On today's episode, we'll discuss how you can keep your new kidney healthy while also maintaining a healthy weight. Hi, welcome. My name is Liz Lusk, and I am a kidney transplant recipient. September will be eight years for me. My husband was my living donor, so I'm very excited to be here today and invite Karen to join us. Hi, my name is Karen Greathouse. I'm a kidney transplant dietitian at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I've been working with kidney transplant patients for the last eight years. Prior to that, I had close to 20 years of working with dialysis patients, so I'm really well-versed with kidney disease. And one of the biggest surprises for me was when I started working transplant was how hard it was to go from if people that were on dialysis prior to their transplant to leave behind the kidney diet and move on to general healthy eating because so many things are restrictive. Oh, this is so exciting to to be able to be with you today and talk about the post-transplant diet. I know I've received questions from people about what can I eat or or even for me, what did your how did your diet change? What are your do's and don'ts for kidney health now? So um, we're gonna go ahead and get started. So I guess the ultimate question is after transplant, will I need to be on a special diet? And what does that look like with um, in regards to low salt or, pro- or protein, um, what about my potassium or my phosphorus? So so a lot of times, you know, our phosphorus has generally dropped low, and especially if people have been on dialysis, and I know there's a lot of really lucky people that get preemptive transplants, and I'm always in there cheerleading, cheering them on. That's wonderful. It's hard to go from restricting to your phosphorus to now adding more phosphorus in because one of the side effects of the drugs is to lower the phosphorus. Sometimes special diet needs will also depend on any other chronic health conditions that you might have. A lot of people have diabetes before the transplant, so they're still going to have to follow the diabetic diet after the transplant as well. And we try to kind of incorporate more healthy eating. Dietary approach to stop hypertension is the DASH diet. That's really good at helping people preserve their kidney transplant. In the initial phases, sometimes the potassium is a little higher. And I know as a transplant recipient, you know how they're adjusting your transplant drugs the first six weeks, especially after the transplant, depending on what your levels are. And it kind of seems like we're constantly going back and forth with meds. That adjustments in the transplant drugs can also affect the potassium level. Sometimes people are constipated. A lot of people before their at the time of their transplant were given pain meds and the pain meds can cause constipation. Constipation can cause elevations in the potassium as well. Um, Sometimes people are diabetic and if their sugars are high, that can cause an increase in the potassium as well. So diet's one factor, but medications, constipation, blood sugar can also affect the potassium levels. A lot's gonna be individualized based on your lab values. Protein is the recommendations. Initially, it's a little higher protein to help healing. Those that were preemptive, often I'm working with them to increase their protein because prior to the transplant, we're looking at 0.6 grams if they were CKD stage four, early five, not on dialysis. So we want to make sure they're getting enough protein to heal. 
a lot of people, if they've been on dialysis, depend on the modality of PD, often they don't need as much protein at the time of the transplant as they were doing to replace what was lost during dialysis. In center, you don't lose quite as much protein, but you're still having more protein than maybe you're going to follow long term. It's not a severe restriction. It's more moderate amounts of 0.8 to 1 gram, which is roughly for most people about 60 to 70, 80 grams of protein a day. Often I'll caution people sometimes right out right now, a lot of times people gain weight after the transplant. We feel better. We used to be told, well, it's the weight loss. Weight gain occurs because of transplant drugs. For some people, it can increase their appetite. But depending on what we're choosing, we may or may not gain weight. If we eat more fruits and vegetables, which is good for kidney health, we're not going to have a ton of weight gain. But if we're drinking a lot of juices, sugary stuff, salty foods that maybe we've been restricting, I've seen people gain 100 pounds. So that's very individualized based on them, but it wasn't related to drugs. It was what we chose. And I like to differentiate that because it's really easy to blame something we don't have control over. And after transplant, as you very well know, but you're watching, you know, what you're taking in and things and kind of feeling good, being told to eat whatever you want. And it can be, sometimes we can go the other way and we want to make sure we're keeping you at a healthy weight because weight gain can cause issues with the transplanted kidney in the future. Definitely important. Definitely. Um, I was preemptive. I was not on dialysis before and I am not diabetic. And so I remember talking to my nephrologist post-transplant and she was saying, hey, you can have, you know, chocolate and and sugar now. And I was like, well, I, 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 had that before because I'm not diabetic, but um, definitely watch the the low um, salt and um, those important diets. So will any of the medications change what I can eat? So the medications can change. I mean, depending on what types of medications, for instance, um, generally we tell people to avoid star fruit, grapefruit, pomegranate, because it can interfere with the absorption of the especially TACRO, which is one of the really commonly used drugs now. It can also interact with some of the other immunosuppression drugs. So it kind of depends on, you know, what medications you're on. Usually you get a list. I know with our center, we give people a handout with kind of things that can interfere with the drug interactions. The other thing is timing of the medications. So with food, when you take the transplant drugs with the food or the immunosuppression drugs, it can interfere with the absorption. So you want to be consistent. I know at our center in the hospital, they'll tell people, wait an hour. Sometimes that just is really hard on people's stomachs. So if you take it with food, as long as you're consistent, it's usually not an issue. But if one day you're taking with food, the next day you're not, your levels can go up and down. Sometimes the sodium can also kind of, sometimes we're having retention. Sometimes right after transplant, I'll liberalize the sodium intake. Because people who've been on dials often, especially if they've been on in-center, restricting the fluids to 32 ounces plus a urine output, and now we want them to have 64 ounces of water is a big adjustment. Whereas preemptive, as you well know, you were drinking as much fluid as you could to keep the kidney hydrated, and that's sometimes challenge. And many times I'll tell people, you know, this is going to be a challenge after the transplant. It's like, no, I love to drink. Four weeks after the transplant, we're bringing them in for IV fluids because they're really struggling getting their fluid intake up. So sometimes liberalizing the sodium can kind of help train the kidney to work again as well. 
Definitely, definitely. Um, I, I love this one. I've been given a book about food safety. Why do I have to be concerned about food safety? And and I think about this with potlucks at your office or with your family or even a Thanksgiving or Christmas meal. What's some great information that will help us with that? So the one thing we want to remember, we're suppressing your immune system so you don't reject your new kidney. Um, so it's pretty much for life. And I remember I was at a conference where it was shared. It was the transplant game. So everybody's pretty far out from their transplant. And the food from the vendor that was providing the food had let it get warm and everybody got sick because a healthy person, not that you're not healthy after transplant, you are very healthy, but we're suppressing your immune system so you don't reject your new organs. So somebody without that hasn't had a transplant, they may get a foodborne illness, be sick, maybe a little diarrhea, not feeling good for a couple of days and they're better. A transplant recipient could end up in the hospital getting IV fluids and all sorts of things. So it's generally a good idea to kind of watch what you're doing. Make sure the food's hot. I mean, if you're at a picnic or a grad party, you know it's hard at noon. There's ice all around the salads and things. That's probably a pretty safe bet. I often will tell my patients, try to be the first one to go through the line. And if it's possible, especially if it's somebody's house, pop the hot food in the microwave and make sure it's 160 degrees to kill any bacteria that may be living there. Just don't take chances. Leftovers can be another really big hot topic. I usually tell people, try to eat the leftovers within two or three days. If not, put it in the freezer to halt the growth and kind of go from there. Probably the big topic, and I remember you shared, it's the runny egg yolks. I mean, if a yolk gets to 160 degrees, it's congealed solid, so it's no longer runny. So we usually tell people stay away from the runny egg yolks. Um, sometimes if, you know, if it's, and this sounds horrible, but if you know there's somebody that you're not quite sure how their hygiene is in their kitchen or how fresh their food is, you may want to just stay away from that person's food at the potluck. Don't make a big thing about it, but take your food safety to concern. It's the same recommendations that we recommend for pregnant people. And we used to have a separate transplant specific food safety book. Now it's kind of with immunosuppression, pregnancy, it's all in one book and the transplants on a couple pages. Yes, I, I can't imagine being at those transplant games, trusting that my food is going to be safe and, and it wasn't even there. So that, oh, that would not be good. Um, definitely think about that when I used to work in an office and, you know, somebody would bring in breakfast pizza and then one of the guys, you know, four or five, six hours later would go get a slice of that. And I'm like, you shouldn't, that's not okay to eat. So I'm not going to eat that. You feel free to do that. So, um of course, I don't have diabetes, but we did talk about that. How often will I need to check my blood sugar after transplant? And why did my medications change after I received my kidney? So a lot of times with kidney disease improves the blood sugar management. Because before, before the transplant, your kidney was not able to excrete the insulin your body was producing. It was hanging around longer. If you were taking insulin... It was staying in your body for an extra day or so. Dialysis wasn't able to remove it. When you get a working kidney, you're starting to pee your insulin out again. Some of the medications we give you so you don't reject your new organ have the side effect of raising the blood sugar. So a lot of times at our center, and it can vary from center to center, and talk to your transplant nephrologist, we have people checking their sugars four times a day for the acute phase 
which our center is usually the first four to six weeks. So you can kind of see where your ranges are. Sometimes we're making adjustments with the insulin a lot. A1C prior to the transplant, which A1C is the test that measures the sugar over a three-month period. With kidney disease, we have anemia present. So that's not always making the A1C accurate. Sometimes people heading into transplant, I know when I'm evaluating people, before their transplant, they're like, my diabetes is cured, my A1C is 5.8, I haven't had a problem, I'm off all my diabetic medications, I'm great, and I'll explain to them how the transplant drugs can affect it when you start urinating. They get their transplant, now they're on insulin, they're really frustrated, they're eating the same way they are. So we kind of reinforce the diabetes education as well. And at our center, we started doing a diabetic kidney combined class with one of our diabetes educators to help people get ready for the transplant. The more we can do ahead of time, the easier the process is. And I know in Michigan, our wait time is five to seven years, so it's a long time to get people ready. And you were really fortunate to have somebody step up and be a donor. And that's what we're always encouraging our patients to do is talk to people. So I kind of want to go back to the food safety issue. Um, explain to me why or why not a transplant patient should eat at a buffet. Okay, so generally I really discourage people from eating at buffets. It's not that the restaurant doesn't do a phenomenal job with food safety checks. If you've ever sat and watched a buffet, people do really weird stuff. I mean, I've watched people put food from their plate back into the bowl they're picking up stuff from the ice and putting it back in the bowl, thinking they're cleaning up things or sneezing. Sometimes I don't know where their hands are. Personally, even I've not had a transplant. I don't like buffets or salad bars just for that very reason, because you're not quite sure what could happen. I know a lot of times with sales, we get a lot of discussions at our center, and sometimes it's even changes in what one nephrologist tells a patient over another, depending on where they trained, is usually fresh vegetables and fruit. We want to keep them well washed. Generally, as a rule of thumb, if you're getting a salad that was prepared in the kitchen and brought to your table, that's usually safe. Um, I will tell people if we buy bagged lettuce or bagged salad mixes, which can make it a lot healthier. And we the DASH diet, which is dietary approach, stop hypertension, help you transplant. The more fruits and vegetables you eat, the better it is for your health and helps control blood pressure. So we want to have them. And a lot of times we love veggies and fruit, but we just don't cut them up. So having things pre-made can help, but just wash it out. Wash that lettuce out. Maybe if you have a towel spinner, you can spin it around or put it in a calendar, get the water all off, and then do it just to make sure any Anything that doesn't necessarily, bacteria that might be on the lettuce is gone. So what if someone's listening to this and saying, hey, I'm 15, 20 years post-transplant. Is that okay to, to maybe not wash lettuce or, you know, be more careful at a buffet? I mean, are these things that someone needs to look for right after they get their transplant or forever? Generally, you're still on immunosuppression. I think the risks are a little higher in the beginning because we're getting so much adjustments with your transplant meds. Personally, myself, I would do it for life. Um, that's what I usually encourage people. And it looks at the frequency too. And some of us are more risk takers than others. But I mean, if I had a kidney transplant, I wouldn't want to be taking risks with my kidney. It's a gift. 
Yes, definitely it is. Um, this is a great one. What about cholesterol? So cholesterol, for years, we were looking at more. Some of the transplant drugs can raise your cholesterol levels, and that's where we're even having a heart-healthy diet, more fruits and vegetables. I love the plate that just goes overall health. It's good for your whole family, not just the transplant patient. Half your plate should be veggies, fruit, a Corvette protein, Corvette carbohydrate. The fruits and vegetables help lower the cholesterol levels. Exercise, we encourage you to exercise after the transplant. I don't know, Liz, whether your center did. I know at our center, we really try to get people getting 150 minutes of movement to keep their heart healthy, keep them feeling good. Just overall general health recommendations are really important. Um, eggs are probably the big thing in the last couple of years. Eggs have not found have been found not to be the culprit for the cholesterol that for years we told people avoid those egg yolks. They're really bad for you. Now we're finding it doesn't really affect your cholesterol more than any of the other meats. But have more vegetable source of protein, beans, nuts, seeds. Those are easier for the kidney, more fish and chicken, the leaner fat, leaner proteins as opposed to some of the red meats and things. Um, everything can fit in moderation. I'm the first one to tell people, if you have a taste for something, enjoy it, unless it's something that's very much risky from a food safety standpoint. I mean, I'm not, just like you mentioned, the pizza, breakfast pizza sitting out three hours, that's not something I would want to be partaking in. And, you know, so that would be different. But if it's something you're really craving, everything in moderation can fit. Even if you're diabetic, if you have that taste for that cookie, count the carbs, fit it in and enjoy it. A lot of times we get in trouble when we feel guilty and you don't want to feel guilty because then when you feel guilty, you don't have just a taste. You eat all kinds of other things. So generally after the transplant, it's a good heart healthy diet that we recommend. Mediterranean style eating, the DASH diet, they're very similar. The Mediterranean is more liberal with the healthy fats and like the avocados and the olive oil and things. Whereas the dash kind of is like, okay, all fat, some fats are better for our heart, but all of it's not good because it can put on extra calories. So those are some things that you can kind of Google. Also, you know, check with your dietitian. I know a lot of times people get mis mixed messages and I know I at our center because they see the dietitian at the time of the transplant before they go home. Our inpatient hospitalization is very short. There's so many people coming in that I will meet with people about the two to four weeks after transplant, just kind of go over, do you have any questions and help them? And you will usually crack a joke. It's like, okay, we're burying the dialysis diet. We're having a funeral. It's done. It's over. We need the phosphorus. You can have a little more sodium than you did prior in dialysis. You can go to three to 4,000 milligrams daily. Still don't want to eat out every day. Still don't want to go back to some of your, because some of us got into kidney failure because of our lifestyle with eating out and a lot of processed foods, a lot of salty stuff. So we don't necessarily want to go back to what we did before, but it's just healthier versions of things. And usually if you're eating out less than three times a week, you're going to be able to control your sodium. If you're, and I have some people that eat out maybe 15, 20 times a week, by the time they calculate in all the meals, it's hard to keep the salt down. 80% is hidden in the food. Most of us are like, I'm not shaking salt on my food. And I remember one of the patients like, I don't use any salt. I don't know why you're telling me. But his diet recall, he was having hot dogs and then he was having cream of mushroom soup on his pork chop. And he's like, I don't know why my blood pressure is high. There's no salt here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> 
Yes, there was. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned something about oils. I remember my dietitian coming into the room when I was still in the hospital explaining everything to me. I still have the envelope that she wrote on um, my do's and don'ts of eating. And she mentioned using canola oil and, or olive oil instead of vegetable oil. Is there a specific kind of oil that you would stay away from and some that you prefer to use? So generally, it's more polyunsaturated the oil is, the better it is for our heart. And canola has a higher polyunsaturation level olive oil. Now, a lot of times we're using a little more avocado oil. Those are healthier types of fats to do that. Some of it's the blend. I often try to kind of get people away from as much fried stuff as possible. It's what's not as big of an issue, but generally the less saturated fat it is, the better it is. Just like the other thing gets into margarine versus butter and all the debates. Generally, the more liquid your fat is, the better it is for your heart. So like sometimes even the butter with some of the olive oil whipped into it so it's soft can help with taste for some people. Um, the softer tubs are better, the hard stick margarine, even though it doesn't have the saturated fat, it's got trans fats to harden it to make it spreadable like the butter and that kind of reacts in the body kind of similar to saturated fats. So the more liquid, just like if you dip your bread in the olive oil this season, that's better for you than even spreading any type of butter or margarine or whatever. And I know in certain parts of the country, butter and margarine are interchangeable. Other parts are like, okay, this has got to be butter. I'm in farm country and it's got to be real butter. Yes, I'm in the South. So, uh, <laughs> yes, we like our butter to come in in really big vats of, of butter. But um, And I, I actually switched to butter instead of margarine. I used to use margarine and just decided that um, for me personally, and you can tell me if that's right or wrong, um, I wanted to go ahead and do something that didn't have the oil that was actually made from cream from milk from from something like that does that make sense that makes perfect sense a lot of people and so i would say the biggest thing and i know we get into debates and then there's probably some dietitians that would totally disagree with them about to say overall fat has a big factor so if you're eating less than a third of your calories trying to avoid the fried foods and using as little oils and fats as you can the better it is for a body and keep maintaining a healthy weight because being overweight can also put you at heart risk and raise your cholesterol inactivity can also do it. So it's looking at the overall big picture as opposed to that, because I've had people, and I remember I was doing a supermarket tour. This was even before kidney disease. And though it was with senior citizens and the one of the ladies, and she lived alone, she's like, well, I bought a gallon of olive oil because olive oil is a healthier fat. And I'm like, oh, that's not really necessarily good. It's healthier. But if you're going through a gallon of olive oil, we've got a problem. <laughs> Yes, I do not buy my oil by the gallon. So <laughs> um, such a great resource, such a great conversation that we're having about post-transplant diet and how exciting to get to be in that stage when someone gets their transplant. It's, it's all really exciting. I remember my pharmacist telling me that at the beginning, it's going to feel like a fire hydrant is just drowning you with water in your face um, with the medication that you're going to change with the dietary needs that are going to change. So this is a great resource for people to come and um, get to talk with you about this or hear from us about what um, a post-transplant diet looks like. If someone were looking for other resources, um, who or what should they seek out? 
I would make sure you're looking at a credible resource. There's a lot of awesome stuff on the internet and there's a lot of bad stuff that looks good and everything in between. So generally, you know, start with your transplant center. Um, I, I know even when I worked dialysis, I'd have some of my patients give me a call because they felt comfortable with me and that's fine too. Um, if you're sticking more to health sort resources, if it's a prominent academic institution, maybe their handouts are pretty good. I know, you know, if you're kind of Googling, you're looking at some credible resources. A lot of the government websites have some really good things. If something is different than what your healthcare teams told you, I mean, totally different, like just like ginger and turmeric as a seasoning can be really good, but when we start taking it in supplement form, it can cause problems with their kidneys. So if you're looking in a lot of times with some of the supplements from the health food stores, especially sometimes protein supplements, they're not really regulated because they're not considered a drug and they're not considered a food. So any things with that, be open with the pharmacist, be open with your nephrologist, be open with the dietitian because we need to know what kinds of things you're taking because some of them could interfere with some of your drugs and things. And I've had a lot of instances where people are like, well, I didn't think, you know, I got a health food store. It's healthy. It's good for me. It's all natural, but depending on what it's, what's in there, it can cause some issues and things too. And sometimes we're reluctant to bring stuff forth because I know in the past, some healthcare professionals didn't want to hear it, or they'd be just like, no, you can't take it. Hopefully, we've come to a point where people are willing to listen to what you have to say. And at the same time, if they're telling you not to take it, take into consideration their expertise, too. And I know that got a little off topic, but hopefully it addressed it a little bit. No, that's so great. I'm so glad you brought that up. I remember in my my hospital, my center is three hours away. So now I um, just see my own nephrologist and not my center nephrologist very often. And I'm sure some listeners have the same kind of issue that their transplant center is not super close, but they had signs in the center that, that said that, you know, please do not take supplements without asking us first. And and I look at my non-transplant friends and, and just kind of wonder, have you talked to a doctor about even if you haven't had a transplant, if you actually need those supplements and, and what your vitamins look at? And so I wish people um, were more open to have those discussions with people and find out, do I really need to take this supplement? Is that really going to do something for me um, long-term versus just what I possibly need now? Um, we didn't really mention it at the beginning, but after my transplant, I had an issue with my magnesium went down. And my magnesium, I actually had to take over the counter because my um, transplant nephrologist said that there's not an amount of red meat and green vegetables I can eat to get my magnesium back where it needs to be. How do you feel about that? You can do a lot of the high phosphorus foods are also high in magnesium and you need about 800 to 1000 milligrams of magnesium. Fish are a great source of magnesium, oats, some of your nuts and seeds. I know at our center, we give a list. I have a list I developed of the magnesium, phosphorus, and potassium content of foods to help people meet their goals and things. And that brings up a really good point, even preemptive. And I know there might be some people listening. It's like, I'm going to be ready for my transplant. Um, know your numbers, know the goals, because it makes me cringe when people, and I know post-transplant, some places still do it. 
give lists of foods to avoid or lists of pictures of high potassium foods and say you can never eat these foods again, everything can kind of fit in as long as you know your numbers and your restrictions and things too. And making sure you're meeting those goals and post-transplant, getting the magnesium and the phosphorus. Phosphorus recommendations, we usually need at least 1,500 milligrams a day to kind of help because our bones are hungry. They've not had the phosphorus because kidneys weren't able to excrete it. When the phosphorus got high, it pulled the calcium from the bones. Now the bones are hungry and want that phosphorus, so that's contributing as well, too. So just kind of know your numbers. Everything can fit. And I know our nurses would say, well, you talk to these people, and you're like, okay, this is the culprit. And a lot of times it's not that high potassium food like the banana or the potatoes that somebody's been told they can never have. It might be constipation. It might be high blood sugar. A lot of times it's something we really eat a lot of. It might not be a super high, but in culmination, it's taken us way up over where we want to be. So it's very individualized, um, generally healthy guidelines. And if you're eating the Mediterranean style eating with more fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, healthier types of fats, you often don't need all the supplements and things in a variety of foods. And I know I've got a really good friend. It's It was is there a good health food store? He moved to another area where I live. And it's like, then he's like, I know you don't really use anything because I was even with my four kids. It's like, if we're eating a healthy diet, you're getting a wide variety of vitamins and minerals and you have a better chance. And sometimes even getting things from different parts of the country. And now with our food supply, we're transporting food across the country. So it would be good to eat apples from various places because where one apple orchard might be depleted in one mineral, another part of the country it might have plenty of the magnesium and phosphorus as well. I like that. I hadn't even thought about getting fruit from different parts of the country. I am in Arkansas, and um, this summer we've already gone and like picked five fruits that that grow in our area. And so it's kind of nice to be able to have those options of fresh fruits and vegetables, especially growing them in your own backyard or things like that. I know we just talked about supplements, and with what's happened the last two years with COVID and and people being really nervous about that. Um, I know some people are probably taking vitamin C or looking into things that say, you know, will boost your immune system. What do you feel about those? So a lot of those, make sure you're not exceeding the recommendations because on the bottle, will say the recommended diet daily allowance, don't go like 200% of things. And talk to your doctor who knows your personal health history, your labs, your medications, and see what they do. And I guess the more open we are sometimes with our providers, that can be really good. And I know with COVID, there's a lot more portal messaging, computer interactions, even with people who live further away from the center. Get those questions asked, you know, and sometimes it's easier. I know we draw people from like nine hours away at our center. And sometimes it's hard to call people. And sometimes if you're in a small area and you're on hold for an hour or two or trying to get the right person, sometimes portal messages can be really great way to communicate. And that message goes right to the doctor, gets forward to the pharmacist, the nurse, whoever, and can get back. And it's not as frustrating of an experience as you. And I know every center is different, but if you can communicate with the computer and that, I know... At our center, it was like, okay, COVID speed, things that would have taken three years to advance, like virtual visits, 
are like six weeks, it's like we are way far ahead of the last five years. And I know for me, seeing my nephrologist in person kind of took a little bit longer. Um, we would still do telemeds for about two years, actually. Finally um, got to see him because either the clinic was shut down because someone in there got COVID or due to um, a lot of people needing to be on dialysis, especially with early COVID, that he was on the, the dialysis floor in the hospitals and the COVID floors. And so he didn't want to see his transplant patients. So if that's happening still to you, definitely reach out to them using the, the portal. And if you don't know what that is, talk to your healthcare provider. It's a great um, app or website that you can go to depending on if your center or your doctor is with a hospital or not. Um, so is there anything else transplant recipients should consider about their nutrition in order to keep them and their kidneys healthy? Generally, I always tell people the closer food is how we find it in nature, the better it is for our kidney. And, you know, more fresh stuff. And just like when you mentioned growing locally, growing foods and things are an awesome way to retain nutrients. Because what's shift, even though we're getting different nutrients, things are lost in the air. So the sooner we can eat things from when they're picked, the more nutritious they are. Um, a lot of times we'll get into, should I have fresh or frozen? Um, I've even had people with canned fruits high in salt. We don't add salt to our canned fruit, but I know on dialysis there's some centers that'll tell people nothing canned. And I have that discussion a lot of times. We don't put salt in our fruit. It wouldn't taste very good if we put it <laughs> in our fruit. Um, so, you know, what's convenient? And a lot of times people tell me it's expensive to eat healthy. Moderate amounts of protein are good. The leaner protein stores are good. Fishes, we're eating 100% of the fish, whereas with, if you're getting some of the red meat, you're losing about 25 30% in the fat in the water by the time you kind of actually cook it. Um, most of our monies goes through the protein. It's not the fruits and vegetables. But I think a lot of times, because just like you mentioned, when the local stuff starts coming in, prices go down. Like Michigan, we grow a lot of apples. And when the apples are in season in the fall, they might be dollar a pound. And then in the winter, they're $2 a pound. And people are like, well, that's expensive. But we have no problems paying $3 for that bag of chips 24-7 because right. the price doesn't vary. So it's just looking at moderation and variety and feeling satisfied too. And keeping a healthy weight's really important because I know it's kind of, we were kind of joking around the clinic the other day, which is really sad. A BMI of 30 is the new normal because people are getting larger and larger. And I don't mean to be offensive to anybody. And it's easy to justify where we're at. And keeping a healthy weight is important. Keeping healthy lifestyle, the exercise, the fruits, vegetables, eating balanced meals can help you from snacking and grazing between times. And I think sometimes we'll start starving ourselves to lose weight. Diets don't work. I know in our center, and I'm sure everybody can kind of struggle with that, where our appetite, we're feeling better. We've got a kid, new kidney. We have our life back. We're moving around more. We're around more food sometimes. Things taste really good and better than they did when we were struggling with the kidney disease. So the tendencies overeat. So it's not so much there are good foods or bad foods. But looking at it, everything can fit into a healthy diet. And if you're getting more fruits and vegetables, they take time to chew. Our brain has a chance to catch up, helps prevent diabetes, high blood pressure, which all can take the toll on the kidney. And I've seen people who weren't diabetic before their transplant, after transplant with the medications were taken, sometimes weight gain, 
they'll develop diabetes after the transplant. So doing everything we can to keep healthy at the same time, don't deprive yourself. Cause if you're depriving yourself, you're going to binge on something and then you feel guilty and then you eat more of something else. And it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Yes. Yes. I know. I, um, like I said, I was not on dialysis, but I, I'm not really sure how close I was needing to be on dialysis because I looked at myself before my transplant and I weighed myself the night before I went in. And when I got home five days later, I had lost 15 pounds just in the hospital, just all of the water that I was retaining. And I did gain a little bit back. And I remember talking to my nephrologist and saying, I don't understand, like, I'm still eating what I should be doing. You know, obviously, right at the beginning, I can't, I can barely walk down to the into the driveway, let alone, you know, around the block at the, at the very beginning. And, um, he kind of, his, his response was it's fight or flight. And right now your body is fighting. And so it's making sure it just needs to add a little bit of weight. And I, I was able to lose that back and, um, and be at a, at a healthier weight for myself, um, for based on my, my height and, and how I am. But, um, so that's, it's good to know that sometimes you may gain weight, um, watch it, look at what that scale is saying and um, try not to, you might know this better, try not to weigh every single day because it's just going to make very it worse. Good, One of the <laughs> biggest things is like put the scale away and especially those of you that run dials, we're used to weighing three times a week and sometimes even preemptive, the doctors are monitoring fluid gains. So sometimes you're weighing daily. It's, very challenging sometimes. So don't let the scale tell it. And it's not necessarily everybody's got to be super thin, but a healthy weight, healthy can mean different things at different sizes. It looks at genetics, things like that. But if you're like 100 pounds overweight, that's probably not healthy. And I've seen people who are a little, say, heavier than somebody else, but they're healthier because they're eating a well-balanced diet. They're doing the exercise. And just because somebody's thin doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy either. So there's a whole variety of things in there. You know yourself, but at the same time, you know what your normal weight was. Or even if you've been heavy, like 250 pounds for a long time and you're five foot four, that might not be the best thing for your joints and your overall health. So it's looking at the health things as opposed to cosmetic. And a lot of times we look at weight more from a cosmetic reason and that what you look like doesn't sell the things you want to look at more, how it puts your risk at your health at risk and being overweight when you're that much overweight can also cause damage to the kidney. We used to think it was just the diabetes and high blood pressure but newer studies show weight itself can cause kidney damage. I know you've you've mentioned anything in moderation, and I, I that's just kind of dawned on me. And we might have some people that want to know about this. Um, what about alcohol? So alcohol usually, you know, if your blood pressures are well, you know, well um, maintained, it's usually okay in moderation as long as it doesn't get to the point where it's excessive and you can't take care of your transplant. You know, and that's same sometimes with some of the marijuana and some of the other things, and that varies from center to center. And that's something, be open talking to your nephrologist, because I think sometimes there's social stigmatisms about maybe our weight, what we're doing. I know sometimes doctors have been even biased, well, you're overweight because you do this. Don't let that doctor be biased against you, but be honest and open and talking to your doctor and letting them know what's going on. 
So important, so important. I am a member of the Kidney Advocacy Committee, and, and one of the main reasons why I was excited to join that is because you are the only constant in your health care. And so if you don't know about your health or what your labs look like or what your weight needs to be and really understanding when you get your labs and asking your physician about what each of those metrics means, how are we going to expect them to do that? themselves. And I don't mean that your doctor doesn't know about your overall health or he or she doesn't care. They have too many patients. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, just be aware of, of your needs and what your health looks like. Um, I know people listening on this might have already had a transplant before. They might have multiple transplants. Um, and so you just want to keep that kidney as, as long as, as long as possible. For me, it's, um, my donor lives with me. And so there's a little bit of that added pressure to make sure that I keep my kidney, um, but not that he ever pressures me into that. But um, my mom also has um, had a, a kidney transplant as well. We have polycystic kidney disease. And so it is a genetic hereditary disease. And um, she's almost 17 years post-transplant. And so it's been actually kind of nice when I call her and say, okay, what's your creatinine this week? Or, you know, after you got your labs, how's that looking? Or what are you eating? What are you, what's going on with you right now? And, um, so there's lots of resources for that. If you feel alone, don't feel alone. We're all here for you. And so, Karen, thank you so much for joining today and letting me ask you a ton of questions and learn all about post-transplant diet. That is great. And I just want to make a plug. There's a lot of great information on the National Kidney Foundation's website. We've got a great superfood where we address superfoods and different foods that you may thought you could or couldn't have for transplant, CKD4, CKD5, dialysis, PD, wonderful information, a lot on plant-based eating and maintaining kidney function, wonderful information out there. And we're really in the process of updating the things and keeping it current and going more with the research has shown the kidney diets changed for the first time in the last five years the way we've taught it for 30 years. So more plants, more whole grains, check it out. Yes, definitely, definitely. Kidney.org, National Kidney Foundation. We love them, of course, um, and all of the hard work that they do. So again, that's kidney.org if you have any other questions or want to share this podcast with anyone. So, well, thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks. As we do with every episode, we want to give a shout out to someone celebrating a major milestone. Mark has been a volunteer firefighter for the past three decades. When he found out he needed a transplant, over 30 members from his community came together to get tested, and he was lucky enough to find a match in a member from the Volunteer Ambulance Corps. He's now celebrating one and a half years with his new kidney. Congratulations, Mark. Thank you for listening. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.